Good morning to you. It's great to be here with you. It really is a great delight. My name is Morris Gleiser. I haven't looked at your uh, any material that you've been given, a bulletin or anything. I don't even know if you've got my name in your hand. You probably do. Some of you have been faithfully praying for these particular days uh, that have been building up to this uh, this particular Sunday and these three days in which your church is emphasizing the subject matter of revival as it's up here on the screen revive you think about that word for a second i'm not a i'm not a, ling, a linguist not someone who knows how to take every word apart but this particular word revive obviously has that prefix re in front of it any grammarian will tell you that that re means again to do something Again, and the, the word vive is a word that means awaken, to come alive. It's the idea of being refreshed, revived, reawakened. Very important word. You know, we, 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 we've spoken about revival in churches for years and we've talked about it in the subject matter of putting a sign out by the road or on a, a church billboard of some sort that says revival meeting, you know, October 16th through the 21st. You know, revival is something that God's people need to be having in their heart and life frequently. Maybe I should say daily. It ought to be something that that we are recognizing that we desperately need every day of our life. And I'm not just talking about waking up and getting out of bed and saying, Lord, thank you for another day, though that's a part of it. It's the idea of being refreshed. You ever been refreshed? You ever been to the point where you're just so dry and so thirsty? And right now I've put it on your mind, haven't I? It's, you're thinking, how long are you going to preach? Only about two hours. So just think about how good that water is going to taste. And you know, you get that drink of water and it just tastes so refreshing. It's what you needed at that time to be refreshed. In generations past, they didn't call it revival meetings. They didn't. They spoke about in the early days of America, they called it seasons of refreshment. It was a time in which God's people were reminded of Bible truths. And one man said, most Christians need revival most of the time. We need to be reminded. Why? Because we're so forgetful. And this is not my sermon right now, but when you read the books of Moses, those first five books, you come to the book of Deuteronomy, and in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is writing his last words. And he tells God's people, now you're going to get into the land of promise. You're going to cross this Jordan River. Joshua's going to lead you. He's going to take you across, and you're going to get over there, and you're going to inherit lands that you, you never worked on. You're going to get vineyards you never planted. You're going to get houses you never built. You're going to get all this going on. And he said, don't forget who brought it to you. Now you think about all the things that Israel, the people of Israel had seen prior to that time. And then he said, but don't forget because you're going to be prone to forget. And then just a little bit after the book of Deuteronomy, we come to the book of Judges. And what happens is God's people have to continually be delivered from the entrapments of the enemies around them. Why? Because Israel kept forgetting. 
We need revival. That's my first sermon. We need these days. It's so good to be back with you at Open Bible. I love the name of your church, Open Bible. I love the logo up there on the screen, the little image there, Open Bible. We need an open Bible in our life. The Word of God. We need open Bible Christianity in our lives in the world in which we live in. So I love the name of your church, Open Bible Baptist Church. We were here back in 2012. And I think uh, just eight years ago, I think I was, oh, I think I was maybe, oh, 15 uh, at the time. Just, uh, folks, that was a joke. I mean, that, I, I, the joke didn't get, jokes don't get any better than this, all right? So just hang in there. Uh, time has flown. Where has the time gone? Here we are, 2020. It's a great delight to be back here with you. Some of you are saying, Morris, I don't know you. Well, that's fair. I probably don't know you either. Maybe you've come since the last time I was here. You say, no, I was here, but I don't remember you. That's fine. Uh, I'm easy to forget. The fact is, we want to get to know you during these days. Would you plan to be back uh, tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night? Just real quickly, three nights of Bible emphasis. We need to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I need it every day. I want it all the time. We need to hear the Word of God. Hope that you'll plan to come back. My wife, Lynn, is sitting over here to my left. You're right. And uh, she was here with me uh, last time I was here and back with me again. And uh, we are excited about reacquainting ourselves with folks we've met before and then just making some new friends as well. So I hope that you'll plan to be back tonight at five o'clock. You say, I don't ever come on Sunday night. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm bringing it up. Would you, would you plan to be back tonight? Be a Sunday nighter. All right. There's no Super Bowl this week. All right. And uh, your favorite team probably hasn't smelled the Super Bowl in a while anyway, and my team hadn't either. And so anyway, it's all behind us now. You say, boy, yeah, but I've got, I got a lot to do tonight. Well, then get it done in the afternoon, plan to be with us, all right? You say, well, what if I can't come? You know, probably somebody knows where you live. We're coming after you. So would you plan to be here? All right. Obviously, I'm joking. Just plan to be here. I hope that you'll plan to come. Really, seriously. I want these days to be a blessing. I don't know what you think of when you think of the evangelist. I'm not real sure what my title should be. I'm an itinerant pastoral type evangelist. I worked for 20 years in a church, uh, church staff, and I know uh, the, the yearnings and the burdens and the concerns and the heartaches and the thrills of a local church body. You get to know each other and you grow together and weep together and rejoice together. And yet for the last 20 years, I've had the great privilege of traveling around in evangelism. I love to give the gospel. I want these days to be exactly what you personally need individually, what your family needs and what your church family needs. So plan to come, would you? Hopefully you'll be able to come and be a part of every service and I hope that you'll plan to be here. This morning's message is gonna come from the book of Hebrews. So you can get Hebrews chapter 11 opened up in front of you and you can get that open first of all, Hebrews chapter 11, but you're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna have a kickoff point all the way back in the book of Genesis. It's gonna be our, uh, our springboard into the passage in Hebrews chapter 11. So get Hebrews 11 ready. And then go all the way back to Genesis chapter 5. I don't often give two passages to look at, but it's important that we look at this Genesis passage to spring into Hebrews 11. 
As we look at this together today, we're going to look at something to start with. It's interesting, the individual we're going to look at in the book of Genesis is also spoken of in Hebrews 11. You probably know this. Hebrews 11 is that chapter in, the, in that particular book that's often been called um, the Hall of Faith, where you read about individuals and people uh, that have, uh, uh, that have, that have uh, in the Old Testament generation of time, put their faith in the coming Messiah. And we read again of their of their, uh, their, their faith, their trust in the Lord. We read about them in Hebrews. But you know, you have to go back to the Old Testament to be reminded of some of their accounts and things that they did. I love the Old Testament. I love the narratives of the Old Testament. And I love to read of these stories of these individuals back there in, in the, in the uh, Old Testament. Here in Genesis chapter 5, you have the very first list of Human beings being born, living, and then dying. You could argue and say this is the first obituary that's ever been written. Now, young people, you don't know what an obituary is. Just Google that after a service today, and you'll find that it's the list of people who in, the, in an area have just recently passed away. Look at the beginning of Genesis 5, would you? Notice here at the very beginning, it's, it, uh, it speaks. Let's, let, let's start in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them, called their name Adam, which means man, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own, in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, now notice this, <laughs> the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Wow. Look at the last phrase of verse 5. And he died. You know, after living 930 it's about time, don't you think? I mean, really, I mean, I mean, seriously. Well, the folks in those generations lived a lot longer because God allowed it. He was populating the planet. Some would argue, and I can't argue against it, that the truth is this earth, this planet, this globe had around it a watery envelope is what I call it. It was called the firmament. And it created what you could say was maybe a hothouse environment. Some scientists believe making the human body capable of, of living longer. I don't know if that's true or not, if it's accurate or not. I just know that the Lord allowed people to live longer. They didn't, they didn't live as long after, after the Noah's flood that we'll read about here in just a moment. Now, pick it up in verse 6. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were, here we go again, 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years, begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years. And he died. You say, Morris, are you going to read all these names and just talk about them living and dying? No, I'm not going to read all of them, but I just want you to hear the sameness. 
There's, there's, a, there's a sameness. There's a, a, it's saying the same thing. Somebody had a child, he grew up, he lived a certain age, and then he died. And in the time in which he lived, he had sons and daughters, and then he died. Then, then, then his firstborn had sons and daughters, then he died. Then the next one came along. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 15. And Mahalalil, don't you love that name? Mahalalil lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalil were 890 and five years and he died. And Jared lived 162 years and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch. 800 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Jared were 960 and two years and he died. Now hang on. We're about to read something that's going to sound like a beautiful rose in the midst of a desert. We've been hearing about people living and dying, living and dying and living and dying. And that's what happens. And now all of a sudden something new is going to be added. Look at verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enoch were 365 years here we go again and Enoch walked with God and he was not that means they never found him for God took him now go to Hebrews 11 this will be our main text for the day look at verse 5 by faith, here he is again, Enoch was translated, that word means he was moved to another location, that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Heavenly Father, thank you for these, my friends, here at Open Bible Baptist. And I pray with all of my heart that you'll allow us during these moments together, as we look at this life of Enoch, help us to see what he learned and as has been given to us in scriptures. Help us to see what you'd have us to learn. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Riddell. Thank you for this ministry. And all through the years, the faithfulness of the gospel being clearly presented all down through the generations. And I pray that this will just come along beside his voice as the shepherd of this church. Help me to come along with him and say the same things that have been said, but that will be timely and will be, as our friend sang a while ago, powerful. May it be exactly what we need to hear. We ask it in your wonderful and beautiful name. Amen. How many of you ever taught your kids, or maybe you're even doing it right now, you've taught somebody, your own kids, how to drive a car? Anybody ever done that? Everybody taught? How many of you? Uh, me too. Honestly, was there ever anything any scarier than teaching your own kid how to drive a vehicle? I mean, seriously. I mean, that is a scary event. Well, I, we taught our two boys. Uh, our oldest son, Andy, has been here with you before. And we, I, I, we, we taught them how to drive a car. Now, honestly, I, it, it was a scary thing. It was also something, it really enhanced my prayer life. And it'll do the same for yours as well. Now, we taught them how to ride a bicycle too. Now, learning how to ride a bicycle is one thing. 
And to watch them wobble down the road on that bicycle and they would fall down. You know, it, it hurt me to watch them fall. It hurt me, but I wasn't on the bike, you know. You know, I said, that's okay, son. You'll walk again. Let's try that again. That's all right. It'll stop bleeding in a few hours. Let's go. And finally, they kept the balance of that thing and they learned how to. Now, it hurt me to watch them fall. Hurt me internally. But I wasn't on the bike. But on a, in a car, I'm over there thinking, I could get hurt, you know? And, and I discovered when you're teaching a kid how to drive, and any kid who's had to endure their parents teaching them, they'll see their parent do this. The parent's constantly pounding, the trying to find the brake over there on that passenger side. It doesn't exist, you know? I kept telling both boys, slow down, slow down, slow down. I think I can see a car with binoculars, uh, it's about 400 yards away. Don't get any closer, you know. And, you know, we drove around on abandoned parking lots and we drove on streets that weren't occupied very much. And, and so, you know, little by little, we got them out to drive. And after a while, they got, they got better and better at it. They got them out on the highways. I, I can only imagine around here in Jersey, man, a living. Uh, you know, trying to teach a kid how to drive would be, uh, uh, you know, make sure your health insurance is covered there. I mean, seriously, you it's a big chore. And so I got, we got both our boys ready to go and they were driving. They were learning how to drive. It was going well. We lived in Kansas City, Missouri at the time. And uh, I, we had uh, uh, our main car and then we had the old beater car. You know what I'm saying? The kind that's put together with duct tape and everything else and a lot of prayer. And that was the car that we allowed our boys to, to drive around and to use. Well, uh, I, we were on our way probably to church or something. And we were coming out of our neighborhood in the month of either January or February. And we had just gotten a great deal of ice. It cold weather, it brought in sleet and ice and so forth. And so, of course, I told my son to be careful, but I, would, I didn't realize we had ice in our neighborhood. I should have thought about it. I turned the corner and I, I'm driving along and I, I, I'm having to go down to the end of our, of our subdivision. And in order to get there, you had, to, you had to have this little decline, you know? And I was driving down. Well, I know how to handle the ice. You just tap the brakes and you slow down and you don't hit it. You don't hit it in a hurry, you lose control. You know, you just kind of tap it and bring it right down there to the stop sign. I think it was a stoplight at the time. And so we pulled up. I just pulled up there. And then I thought to myself, I, I never taught my boy how to drive in ice. I, and he's coming. He's going to come over that hill in a moment. And he's going to start. And he doesn't. He's going to hit that brake and he's going to lose. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, this this could be bad. I'm watching the rearview mirror because we're at a red light and I'm watching him. And all of a sudden I see him coming over that hill to catch up with daddy. And he hits the brake and that car began to slide. And I said, it, it's all over. He's going to ram right into me. But somehow or another, by the goodness of his angel and uh, mine, I, all of a sudden he got that car under control to the point that he pulled it off to the right, actually into the, into the neighborhood, up on somebody's yard, you know, and he got up there, up there, he, he was able to navigate it off to the side and he finally came to a halt and stopped right even with me. <laughs> I watched him, I looked over there and he looked at me with all the sense of calm. He just simply went, he just kind of nodded his head like, I meant to do this, you know. You got a problem, Dad? You know, everything's fine. I'm thinking, you better get out of that yard before the neighbor comes out, you know. 
I had tried to teach my boy how to drive in a, in, in a, in a world that's slipping and sliding, but I had forgotten to teach him some things. I had been trying to teach him how to navigate and how to park and how to handle all the ins and outs of traffic, and I was trying to teach him how to drive in a world gone wild. Well, can I tell you this morning, we're not learning how to drive in a world gone wild. Scripturally, I'd like for us to be reminded of what it means to live in a world that's slipping, sliding, going wild. Do I have to tell you that we live in a world of uh, narcissism, self-focus? I mean, we even take selfies. I mean, we, we live in a world of selfishness. We always have in mankind's world, but that is the truth. We live in a day of, it's all about the individual. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't have a God to dictate your life. We live in a day of narcissism. We live in a day of materialism. Always trying to get more stuff. I was thinking yesterday about this new virus that is, uh, that is uh, scaring us uh, across over in China. And then we're concerned about it coming in. I remember, I remember that, that virus we had years ago called uh, uh, the swine flu or uh, swine virus. And, and those, uh, uh, those who worked with swine said, don't call it swine flu. I mean, give it another name. So they came up with H1N1. And I thought, well, that fever, that virus has been around a long time. H1N1, have one, need one. I got to have things, you know. I mean, we live in a day of materialism. We always got to get something new. We're constantly being bombarded, being told you got to have the newest phone, the newest car, the newest house, the newest dress, the newest set of clothes, the newest, the newest, the best, the brightest. We live in a day of narcissism, materialism. We live... We live in a, a day, honestly, of, of not only those things, we live in a day of, of hedonism. And that is living again for the flesh, whatever the flesh wants. We live in a day of naturalism. That is, man has made things happen. We really, you know, I'm not real sure if I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the natural. I believe in mankind. Man's made it all happen. Okay, if I recognize there's a God, that's fine. But really, it's man that's going to make a difference in this world. We live in that kind of a world. Let, let, me, let me make it more clear. We live in a day of... of, of uh, of idolatry. We worship things other than God. We live in a day of vulgarity. For further reference, just let your TV go unchecked. We live in a day of adultery. We live in a day of hostility, anger. And I'm as guilty as anyone in this room being guilty of the age in which we are living in. It reminds me of when Paul said to the church at Rome, be not conformed to this. And the word in our Bible is the word world. It's the word that means age. Don't be pressed into the direction of this age because this world is gone wild. It's a world that's slipping and sliding. Can I tell you this morning that that kind of world was the same kind of world that Enoch lived in? Enoch lived in a world gone wild. You say, now, Morris, you're not that old. How do you know that to be true? You weren't alive when Enoch was alive. Well, let me just tell you, back in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that Enoch lived in the days just prior to the flood. Honestly, he did. 
He lived in the days when Noah was alive and was around as, as well. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 6. It simply says in chapter 6 and verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was, only, was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the conditions that Enoch lived in. Yes, we connect that with Noah's day, but that was the day that Enoch lived as well. Listen to this verse. Genesis 6 and verse 11. It says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Sound familiar? Corrupt, violent. The thoughts of man were only evil continually. And God said, I'm going to bring judgment. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God has told us in his word, he's going to bring judgment again. It won't be like the days of Noah. It won't be a flood. It'll be a judgment of fire. The fact is, it's coming. And nobody knew when. But keep your focus back on Enoch. You know, Enoch, Enoch found out from God that he was going to bring judgment. You say, no, Morris, how do you know that? He only revealed it to Noah. No, he told it to Enoch too. You say, well, how'd you know that? Well, did you notice who his firstborn son was? Methuselah. Whenever they gave names to kids, those names meant something. The name Methuselah means when he is gone, it will come. God gave Enoch a heads up. When this boy of yours is dead, it will come. What it? Judgment. You could go back and count up the days of Methuselah's life, 969 years, that when Methuselah died, God told Noah, get inside the ark. You could add it up, go back and find it. Noah got into the ark, he closed the door, and God brought the judgment of the flood. When God said, God told Enoch, when your boy's dead, I'm going to bring judgment. He named his boy Methuselah. God told Enoch, I'm going to have to bring judgment. Now, he didn't know when. By the way, can I say this emphatically, but parenthetically? Have you ever remembered that Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived? Why is that? If you don't see the mercy of God, I don't know. You're not thinking. God was giving, God's, God was giving people on earth time to repent and make things right with him. He allowed the man who, when he was dead, he was going to bring judgment to live longer than anybody else. You see the mercies of God. But do you also think about this? Oh, Enoch, Mr. and Mrs. Enoch, every time, can you imagine every time Methuselah got a little sniffle, they probably thought, get that boy healthy. I mean, don't, don't let him die on us because when he's gone, judgment's coming. And Enoch could have said, you know something? I think I'll stand on the street corner and get one of those uh, uh, sandwich boards that says, judgment's coming. Get right with God. And embarrass himself and embarrass the cause of God. He didn't do that. He, he could have said, I'm going to stand around and argue with people and tell them, you better get right with God. And I'm going to have a mean streak to me. And I'm going to fuss and argue and have a harsh personality. He said, I'm not going to do that. He could have said, you know something? Judgment's coming. I might as well just live and let live. I mean, why not just, no, why fight it? Just join the, the direction of the world. I'm just going to go, I mean, judgment's going to come anyway. Why not just go ahead and just live for the flesh? Because it doesn't make any difference. It's going to come anyway. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. 
He could have gone up in the mountains of Israel somewhere and hunkered down and just kind of stayed away from everybody and, and just do nothing but eat pork and beans the rest of his life, you know, and say, I think I'll just kind of hover around here and not worry about seeing anybody. But he didn't do that either. What did he do? The Bible told you what he did. He said, judgment's coming. I don't know when, but here's what I think I'll do. Here's what I know I'll do. I want to walk with God. Now come up close to your Bible and hear me this morning, dear friends. I think that there is a real void in the average Christian's life. And that void is a genuine, true, biblical walk with God. You know, on the physical side, I love to walk. I, I, I just, I do. I took up running years ago, and there are times in which I enjoy that. But I really love to walk. I really love to just go out for a long walk and just, and when I go walking, I love to, I love to talk to the Lord. But that's not what he's talking about, a physical walk. But he's using it as a metaphor. He's using it as an illustration. What is he talking about? He's saying, if, if God is telling me that judgment is coming, then I need to have a life that reflects that message. And that life was a life that says, I'm going to walk with God. I got to ask you, friends, are you walking with God? That's why I ask you to turn to Hebrews 11, where we're going to spend our time this morning. What did Enoch's walk with God look like? Well, you could discover it primarily, strongly, and we'll come back to it. But at the end, of verse, of verse 5, it says that he pleased God. And at the end of verse 6, it says that he diligently, he, he, he diligently sought the Lord. What does it mean to walk with God? We'll look at it. Now, before I go any further, can I just tell you this? Before you start a walk, you've got, you've got to take the first step of the walk. And let me just say, verse 5, look at verse 5 again. It says, by faith. What does this mean? It means the very first step of your walk is the step of faith. I put it like this. It is a walk of conversion. Now, don't let that word mess up in your mind if you don't know what the word means. It means that you, you it is a, a, a word that means I'm going to change the direction of my life. I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm headed to an eternity without God. I'm headed to an eternity in hell, but I want to walk with God. How's that happen? It starts with repentance and being converted to Christ. It is a walk that starts with being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ in the eternal plan of salvation. You see, friends, when you and I were born, when you and I were born, we were born separated from God going in the wrong direction. You may have come from a very religious family. You may have come from a very church-attending, church-going family. You may have come from a family in which there was a nice Bible up on the, on, the, uh, on the coffee table in your house. You may have attended church and vacation Bible school and every Sunday school class, and the story of your life has been the nursery department to the beginner department, and juniors and then junior high and senior high and, and on through the ranks. You've grown up in church. But friends, when you and I were born in this planet, we were born spiritually going in the wrong direction. It makes no difference what you've done in your life until you recognize I'm headed to an eternity without Jesus Christ, without eternal life, and I need Christ in my life. 
And there's a turning around and an accepting of the salvation rescue plan that God himself initiated. Let me give you a verse that everybody in this room probably knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God recognized that you and I, humanity, were separated from him. And he said, I want them with me. But their sin separates them from me. So because sin has a price tag on it, sin has to be paid for. Somebody has to pay for my sin. And it's either going to be me or I'm going to accept the saving work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ stepped in between God and me, God and you. And Jesus said, I will pay what Morris cannot pay himself. Because I can't pay my way to God, nor can you. You can't get you to God. You can be the best person in this room. You can make the best grades in school, teenager. You, you can be an honorable citizen of America. But until you recognize I'm a sinner and I need somebody to give me some good news. I don't want to go to hell. I got the greatest news you'll ever hear. You don't have to go. Jesus Christ paid what you, you, don't, you cannot pay. And you say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. The very first step of walking with God is a step of conversion. I heard a story about a man who was a bus driver for a tour group. And he, he was the bus driver, so he's right up front. And this tour group would be driving around. And over long stretches of, of his drive time, he would put on a video where everybody in this nice air-conditioned bus would sit there and have this uh, DVD uh, play for them. And it was some little family-friendly, you know, I don't know what it was, uh, Mary Poppins or something like that was being played. And someone talked to him later on about uh, his tour. And he said, he goes, as they were driving along, they noticed that he knew every word of that video. He knew every song sung. He had it memorized. And somebody said, oh my, you, you must have seen this thousands of times. He says, I've never seen it. They said, what? But you have it memorized. Oh, he says, I hear it. But I've never stepped back from my driving to watch it. I can't watch it. I'm up here at the front. I've never seen it my whole life, but I know the words. And I wonder if there's people who go to church and they know the words of eternal. They know the words of the Bible, but they've never visualized their own personal need of Jesus Christ. Is that you? Has there ever been a time, sir, ma'am, young person, when you took just a bunch of words that you've heard and realized it needs to be my own personal decision? And it is. It's your, if I could make it for you, I'd do it, but I can't. It's your decision. We're glad you're here today, whether it's your first time or multiplied time that you've been here. The very first step of walking with God is a walk of conversion. Number two, go back to look at Hebrews 11 and verse five. 
He says there, by faith, there's that walk of conversion. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and he was not found because God had translated him from before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that is, that he exists, and that he is and will be a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does it mean to walk with God in a world gone wild? What does it mean? Well, it's a walk of conversion. And then number two, it's a walk of communication. Diligently seek him. Did you know that the Christian life is a journey of getting to know God? Think about it. You're going to hear some great preaching from other preachers. That is a very basic statement. I'm just a meat and potatoes guy. And I'm going to tell you something. You, if you don't learn anything else, you learn this. Once you accept Christ, the rest of the journey of your life ought to be a journey of pursuing a greater knowledge of God. He says here, diligently seek him. The word diligently is a word that means intensity. The idea there is that there is a fervency. Come on, ladies. You know what it all you know what it, you know what it is to go shopping. There is an intensity to your life. You know what I'm saying? You're looking for that guy named Clarence. Clarence, who's hanging up at different, certain points in the store. I mean, there is an intensity. We know what it is to be intense about something. And by the way, this is not an intensity of, uh, of uh, sadness. This is not an intensity of, oh, I guess I have to do this. We're talking about an eagerness. Enoch had a diligence to him of getting to know the Lord. There was an intensity that was marked in his life. Now listen to me carefully. It was not enough for Enoch to just simply receive the atonement for his sin, the forgiveness of his sin, the pardon for his sin. It was not enough just to be spiritually rescued. He wanted to know God. It's not enough to just sing about the Lord. It's not enough just to read about the Lord. It's not enough just to argue for the Lord. It's not enough to debate with people about the existence of the Lord. It's not enough to speculate about God. It's not enough just to talk about the Lord. Enoch walked with him. He communicated with him. Did you know that there was another person that Enoch was a contemporary with? Adam. When you go back and read the numbers on these guys back in Genesis, you'll find that Adam, though he was nearing the end of his life, was alive when Enoch was alive. Enoch was alive when Adam was alive. I don't know this. I'm reading between the lines here. But I get the impression that Enoch may have walked over to Adam's house and said, Adam, I know you can't see me. You're up in years. You know, you're 890. Uh, so uh, I, it, this is Enoch. Yes. Enoch, come on up. And they sat together on the porch or something. I don't know. 
And I can imagine old Enoch said something along the way, Adam, tell me again. What was it like to actually see the Lord in the garden? And I can imagine Adam looked off to the side and he said, Enoch, I love to talk about this. I'm glad you always ask. Oh, Enoch, it was incredible to walk with him in the garden. Now I'm reading between the lines, but I can imagine that Enoch would have heard that. And he probably looked the other way and he said, oh God, I want that. I want to hear you talk to me. I want you and I to get closer than ever before. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to sing. It's wonderful to come in fellowship and worship with God's people. But how about in the quietness and the privacy of your own heart and life? Is there a void in your life? Is there a diligently seeking him? The word seek means there is an intention. Not just intensity, there's an intention. What does that mean? It means that you're listening for him. You're looking for him. You don't just read words. Friends, when you read the Bible, there's more than just taking time in the Word of God on a daily basis and then checking it off and saying, I spent some time in the Word of God today. Friends, you're listening for Him. It's not enough just to say, you know, I've read my Bible every day in the year 2019. I hope to do it again in 2020. Good. I hope you will. But more importantly, before you just think about reading it every day, how about hearing and seeking Him? When David, the king of Israel, was about to die, he looked at his son Solomon and he said to Solomon, he said, Son Solomon, know the God of your father. And then he said, if you will seek him, he will be found of thee. Micah said in Micah 6 and verse 5, he said, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Diligently seeking the Lord is the idea of saying, I am hungry to know Him as I never sought or hungered for anything in my whole life. The word diligently means intensity. The word seek means intention. intention. And then the word Him brings intimacy we're not talking about some you're, you're not just talking about some kind of religious figure we're not talking about something that people talk about and they, they, they talk about him on, on Sunday morning we're talking about knowing him and recognizing his voice when you read his word we're talking about times when you're singing in a worship service and there are times in which you just have to stop and say oh God I love you and what we're singing right now, I mean that from my heart. I adore you. It's not just the blending of a voice. It's the giving of our heart. Oh God, I want to know you. Do you just read words or do you seek him? You see, friends, I'm telling you, we need revival. We need to be reawakened to this matter of a walk of communication. It's a walk of conversion. It's a walk of communication. I won't preach this, but would you just simply look at verse 5 again? It says right in the middle, right in the middle of verse 5, it says, because God had translated him. 
For before his translation, notice this, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The word testimony is the word witness. It means, it actually is the word that we get our English word martyr. In other words, his walk with God was also a walk of confrontation. Did you know that you couldn't get around Enoch without being impacted by the fact that he knew God? Enoch had such an intimate walk with God that no doubt the world that he came in contact with, they recognized he's somebody who knows the Lord. So let me just cut to the chase. I told you I wasn't going to preach it. Gentlemen, does your, does your family, does your spouse, does your kids, do your grandkids, do they know you as just a good businessman, a funny grandfather? Or do they just know you as an active man in the church? Or do they know you as somebody who knows God? Ma'am. Do they know you as a great cook? Nothing wrong with that. Do they just know you as a, as, a, as a great teacher? Do they know you as a singer? Do they know you as something else? Or do they know that you know your God that you walk with? I can go further. He had this testimony. It was a walk of confrontation. And then finally, it was a walk of continuation. You say, what do you mean? Did you notice both in Genesis and in Hebrews what the Bible says? He was translated. If you took a word and translated it into another language, let's say you, you took a word from English and you translated it into Japanese, translated it into Spanish, into Mandarin, you translated it into German, you translated it into Texan, you know, whatever... Whatever country you translate it into, if you took a, what you're doing is you're taking the same word and you're, you're, it's the same word in another language. You're moving it to another location. All right. When it says that Enoch was translated, folks, what it means was they went looking for him and they couldn't find him. The Bible says for God took him. Now you understand this, don't you? Enoch's never died. Enoch never died. We read there. In Genesis, this person lived and died, lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. And then it came to Enoch and it says, and he was not found. Why? Because God took him. Get the picture, man. Here's Enoch. He's, I don't know where it happened. I don't know if he was out working in the fields. I don't know if he was eating a meal. Uh, I, I think he was gone from the house because they went looking for him and he, they couldn't find him. So I think he was possibly out walking with the Lord as he was spending time with his God. He took a step on earth and the next step he took was in glory. Can you imagine? It had to have happened pretty quick. Let me see here. Does that remind me of anything? Yeah. The rapture. You see, Enoch is an Old Testament picture of what we read about in the New Testament of the raptured bride of Christ, the church of Christ. Get the picture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be caught up, the words are mentioned. The words caught up is the, where we get the word rapture. They'll be captured away so quickly, in a moment, quickly, in a twinkling of an eye. And that's what happened in Enoch's life. He was snatched away. It was, like, it was like the Lord said, Hey, Enoch, it's time for you to go home, but you're closer to my home than you are your earthly home, so just come on home with me. Ah, that's preacher talk. It's like, it's like the Lord said, Would you like to come spend the day with me, Enoch? 
And Enoch said, I really would, Lord. And so he said, all right, come on. And because there's no night in heaven, he's still spending the day with the Lord in heaven. Okay, forgive me. That's silly preacher talk. My point is simply this. God just simply took Enoch away and he says, come be with me. And there he is with the Lord even to this day. You say, preacher, what's the point? The point is this. Enoch, in the journey of his life, there was a day in which he took a walk of, of conversion. A walk of communication constant. It was a walk of confrontation. People knew he walked with God. And it was a walk of continuation. He had good days. And he had bad days. He had healthy days. No doubt he had unhealthy days. He had financially stable days. He had days in which he didn't know if he could pay his bills probably. He had days in which he got along with people. And he had days in which he... He struggled with relationships. He had all kinds of days. You say, how do you know? Because he was a human being. Don't get the idea that people in the Bible were any way different than you and I. But on good days and bad days, healthy days, unhealthy days, financially strong and financially weak days, on every day of his life, what did he do? He walked with God. Day after day after day after day. And then God took him. I want to finish strong in my walk with God. Lynn and I were talking just a couple of days ago that it was, and this is hard for us to believe, close to 10 years ago, her dad who pastored churches basically down in the South and Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, about 10 years ago, God called him home. Lynn got to be with him when he passed. And the man, the man was converted as a young man. He took that first step as a young man and became, he, he became a disciple of Christ while in the Navy. And as he continued in his walk with the Lord, he began to have impact on people's lives. His, his life was a life of confrontation. Now, I don't mean that in some rude manner, just that his testimony, he, he, he glowed with the presence of the Lord, even in his own family. He introduced his family, his immediate family, to Jesus Christ. And then he began to tell others about the Lord. He was a gospel preacher. <laughs> and then he passed away a few years back. And when Lynn called me, I was in a meeting. She called me to tell me that he had passed away. I simply said, sweetheart, his walk on earth is over. He's now walking with the Lord. He's preached in heaven. He was faithful to the finish. Are you walking with God? Are you in and out of fellowship with the Lord? Are you distant from him because of some reason or another? Or are you daily pursuing him? Would you have the kind of life that others can see in you? You're somebody who is intimate, close to God. Or is there a void there? You say, preacher, I got saved when I was good. I'm, I hope you've taken that first step. But how about the rest of the journey? Are you just going through the motions? Maybe there needs to be a revival. 
of a personal walk with God. Would you bow your heads with me?